God's Word tells us all about baptism. And one of the great, great portions that speak to us about baptism is the letter that Paul, the apostle, the New Testament uh, apostle, who had such a great transformation in his own life, he understood what it meant. He wrote a letter to the church that was in Rome, and he gave some great, great, powerful information about baptism. And it's in the sixth chapter. Uh, Paul presented this great image. It's a powerful, profound image of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul invoked that image as he explained baptism. And in that sixth chapter of that letter to the Romans, he wrote, in baptism we're united with Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. And that's absolutely amazing. I dedicated a a full sermon to that a couple of months ago. You can check it out online, but it is, it's just such a powerful image the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and that he would say, join me in this. Unite with me in this. And we do that uh, in baptism. It's amazing. It's a powerful image. And Paul wrote then about this, this image, death to life, death to life. He keeps using it, and he writes of it thoroughly, not just there at the beginning of chapter 6 where he discusses baptism, but he keeps it going. He keeps going and using this image because what more powerful image is there than to come from death, to come out of death and into life? He says it over and over, and he gives this picture that death, it equates to sin. Death, is, death comes because of sin. And, and sin brings on death. But life, and not just, not just life temporary, not just life on earth, life eternal. Life eternal is offered and it comes through Jesus Christ. He saves us from death. He pulls us out of death. So Paul just, he unpacks this whole depiction of baptism and he continues to draw on this parallel of Death to life, death to life. At, at the close of the sixth chapter of that letter to the church in Rome, he wrote, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And there it was again, death to life. The gift of eternal life is from God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how he brings to close the, that sixth chapter, and then he begins to write in the seventh. He writes in the seventh chapter really very openly, transparently about his own life, his own struggles against sin. And again, he's saying sin's death. Sin is death. And he is struggling against sin. And he admitted it very openly. I struggle with this, with sin coming back into my life. And he he, he explains the need to be saved from the penalty of sin. Well, what's the penalty of sin? He had, he had put it there at the end of chapter 6. It's death. The wages of sin is death. So 
So he shares this struggle, the need to be saved in order to gain eternal life. And at the end of the seventh chapter, then he concludes with a question. Who will save me? Who will rescue me from this body of death? But he doesn't leave his his readers hanging. He doesn't leave them without the answer. Who will save me? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. That's uh, who would save from death. So again, he's, he's given this image. He gives us the answer to the great question, who will rescue us from this body of death? Jesus Jesus, who was the perfect, sinless man. And he gave his life as a ransom. That's a word that the Bible uses, a ransom or a payment. He paid the debt that we owed for sin. There is a penalty for sin. And the penalty is death. It's a death penalty. And the great thing about uh, the word of God is he, he tells us when we were lost in our sin, no way out, lost in our sin, Jesus had already made a way. He had made a way for this rescue. How so? He died for us. He took on this death sentence. He paid the price. And God received it. God the Father received it because Jesus was the perfect, sinless person, the only person who had walked the earth and never, ever made an offense against God. He never sinned. And yet he gave his life to pay the penalty. And what did that do? God said, hey, I'll receive that for every single person. And one for us eternal life. Now, last week we heard from Pastor Barry, who was up there in the baptistry this morning. And he shared an image of this idea of salvation, this idea of rescue. It was an image from his childhood, Brother Barry had presented this, this story that when he was a, a little child, maybe he said about eight years old, and he was running through a cornfield. The stalks of corn seemed a mile high to him because he was a little boy. And he was just out there having fun running and plowing them all down until he's in the middle of a cornfield. And suddenly he just feels so lost and alone. And fear overwhelmed him. And he began to cry out. And then he gave this great picture of rescue. His eldest brother came into view and picked him up and, and saved him and, and calmed all of his fear and held him. And when Brother Barry was telling that story, I thought of a story from my own childhood, a similar story. And Pastor Barry and I share some similarities. We're both from large families. He He has uh, five brothers. I have six brothers. He's second from the bottom. I'm second from the bottom. He's five out of six. I'm eight out of nine. He knows what it's like to have a bunch of brothers above him. So do I. So while he was telling that story, I was thinking of this whole incident in in my life when I was a little kid, and I was about the same age. I'm thinking about eight years old. My family went on a trip to Kentucky, a camping trip, and A couple of my brothers, I remember two of my older brothers, and there might have been a third one there. Memory's a little bit foggy, but I know the two of them, they went off exploring. And me, 
as the littlest one that was going to go off exploring, my little brother, he was, he was sticking in the campsite. I go chasing after my older brothers. And you know how older brothers are if you have them. They want to ditch the little guy. And so that's what their intention was. They're running hard. And I'm running to keep up. And I was on this path. We were on this pathway somewhere out in the, the Smoky Mountains. And there was a river at any rate. I'm running. I slipped on this wet, muddy path. And I slipped right into the river. Right down the river bank. And into the river. And it began to pull me right over a waterfall. And I thought I was going to die. This waterfall to me was Niagara Falls. I was, like I said, maybe eight years old, this little guy, and I am going to tumble down to my death. And at the very last second before, as life flashed before my eyes, I grabbed a hold of a root that was there sticking out of the bank of the river, and I held on for dear life with my legs hanging over, not being able to touch. And my brothers, I tease them for abandoning me. I don't think they really abandoned me. I, I, I think they were just running, and they had no clue I fell in. But I still, you know, I still let them know. They just left me. Holding, holding that root, what was I to do? And I just started to crawl and claw and pull. And eventually I, I was able to get more roots on the riverbank and pull myself up and out. And it was a harrowing experience I'll never forget. And, and I think about that in terms of this great picture of God's salvation. There, Pastor Barry presented this great image of, of salvation. And in my own story, I'm thinking, this is how we often want to do it. It's human nature. We want to save ourselves. And we will claw at it. We'll pull at it. We'll do all we can to secure for ourselves immortality. We'll, we, we oftentimes believe there's, hey, if I do a certain number of good deeds, maybe if I do a certain amount of penance, then, then, I'll have eternal life. But this, the, the story is, the thing is, it'll never, ever work out for us. Maybe in certain situations in life, we can pull ourselves up. When it comes to eternal life, no matter how hard we try, we're going over the falls. That's, that is a fact. We are destined to die. And can we gain eternal life? Can we, can we secure something beyond this life? Well, we can never, ever do it ourselves. We are all in need of a rescue. We need the salvation that Jesus offers. We need the salvation that Jesus brings the apostle wrote, who will save me from this body of death? Who will rescue me? It's only, only, only Jesus Christ, period. This apostle continued to write. He continued to write about death and life. He continued with the, with the theme and the examples. Now into the eighth chapter. 
And last week we heard from the eighth chapter of this letter to Rome. And the concluding verse we heard last week was verse 11, Romans 8, 11. And it says this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, and there's that picture again of death, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, there's life, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So there it is again, the death to life image. This is the the image of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what the apostle was writing about. He said, it came about by the Holy Spirit, and he, he, he said, is that Spirit living in you? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent of resurrection. He points that out in this, this one short verse. It is by the Holy Spirit that Christ was raised from the dead, that he went from death to life, that body of his became immortal, It was glorified. It's a a promise to all of us, too, who are in Christ. And Jesus promised that same Holy Spirit to those who are his followers. And that, again, is incomprehensible. That the Spirit that raised him from the dead is promised to his followers not just to be with his followers, but to be in, living in his followers. Jesus promised this. He promised the spirit. He said, this is the spirit of truth. That's what he he called the Holy Spirit. That was one of the titles, the spirit of truth. And Jesus said, in my absence, he told his followers, I'm going away. But in my absence, I won't be leading you physically. I'm promising you, you will not be alone. No, I I will send the Holy Spirit to help you, to lead you, to guide you, to comfort you, and not just to be with you, but to be in you, to indwell you. That same Apostle Paul who wrote that letter to the church in Rome, he, he wrote another letter to another church in the city of Corinth, and he put he put it this way, explaining this very thing about the, the Holy Spirit in, in filling us and indwelling us. As Christians, followers of Christ, Paul wrote, your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Jesus kept his promise. It's the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead that indwells his followers, the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. It was intertwined. It it was completely interconnected with the Holy Spirit. And and that's something we as his followers should take note of. It, It should be something we pay attention to. And why is that? Jesus is our pattern. He's our model. Jesus is the model for life. He's the pattern for all of life. He's the perfect, perfect, sinless pattern for all of life. 
And the Holy Spirit was absolutely intertwined with all that Jesus did. And we've been talking about this Spirit, the Holy Spirit, for a couple of months now here in Sunday services. And as we enter the Lenten season and we look forward to celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're going to continue talking about the Holy Spirit and discussing the Holy Spirit. But we're going to consider the Holy Spirit as the Spirit was connected to the life of Christ, his life here on earth. But not just consider that. I want to try to draw from that. How can, we, how can we receive that as an example for all of us? Because again, Jesus is our example. He's our pattern for life. How can we see how the spirit of the living God was interconnected and intertwined with his life and then apply it to our own lives? Why? Because the spirit indwells us as believers. So let's consider that and look at it. He's our pattern. And this morning, we're going to start at the beginning of Jesus' life. The beginning of his life. Just before he was born. The Spirit of, the, of God was working. The Holy Spirit was working before Jesus was born and then in his birth. And how does that relate to us as Christians? How might that relate to us? Let's, let's consider that. The accounts of the birth of Jesus, they inform us that Jesus was born of a woman called Mary, and she'd never been with a man. She was a, a, a virgin. And this virgin birth... It was foretold some 750 years before Jesus was born. It was foretold by the prophet Isaiah. We sung from the prophet Isaiah's writings this morning. We sung from chapter 6 of Isaiah. He was a powerful prophet. 750 years before Jesus, Isaiah said, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will call him Emmanuel. We know in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, it defines that Emmanuel, God with us. When this virgin Mary conceived, her fiance, Joseph, he considered, I need to put her aside. I need to put this wedding off. I need to be done with her. She's pregnant. And he knew it wasn't by him. So he was, he was going to put the wedding off. But God intervened. God intervened. And I want to share with you from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, how God intervened. Verse 20 in that opening chapter of Matthew says, But after he, Joseph, after Joseph had considered this, after he had considered being done with Mary, I don't want to be with this woman because he thought she cheated. After Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That convinced Joseph. Before Jesus was born, we're informed, we're told here that the Holy Spirit was active and involved. And the, the Spirit was active in Jesus being conceived. He had a miraculous birth. Jesus had a miraculous birth brought about by the Holy Spirit. And 
Then he lived the perfect, the perfect, sinless life. But he was born by the Spirit before that life on earth began. And no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we try, we'll never be sinlessly perfect like Jesus. Every single one of us, we're like going over that metaphorical falls. And we think, many of us, that we, we can do it on our own. But those efforts and those good deeds and, and if it's penance, we somehow think it'll be more powerful than the force that's pulling us down. But no, no one can ever stand before God and say, I did it. Hey, I did it. I'm perfect. I made it. I'm the perfect sinless one. None of us. Only Jesus Christ. Now, only if we could share in the miracle. Maybe we would have hope. How, how could we have hope? None of us have the hope of being sinlessly perfect. But man, if we could share in this, this miracle that he had, well, he was born miraculously by the Holy Spirit. Man, if we could be like that, if we could only be like that, then, then maybe. But how could that happen? That's impossible. That is absolutely impossible. At least it sounds impossible. And yet God, yet God, through his son, Jesus Christ, by the working of the Holy Spirit, he offers the impossible. He offers the miracle. He's offered to you and to me and to all of mankind this miracle of a birth by the Holy Spirit. And again, it sounds incomprehensible, but Jesus taught it. Jesus taught that very thing. And he explained it once to a man. He explained it in a private meeting with with this man. It was a one-on-one meeting. Jesus was one-on-one with this very knowledgeable teacher, a man that was well-trained in all the things of faith. The man knew the entire uh, Jewish religion from top to bottom. And yet he had questions for Jesus. He was a little bit afraid to talk to him, so he went to him by night. And he talked to Jesus. And Jesus taught him something that stunned him. And let's read it. It's in uh, the Gospel of John. It's chapter 3. I want to share verses 1 through 9. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, and a Pharisee was a teacher. A Pharisee was a rabbi. A Pharisee knew the faith, front to back. Now there was a Pharisee a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Stop right there just for a second. The Jewish ruling council had 70 70 leaders and then a high priest. So there were 71. They, They were the leaders of the entire Jewish faith. So this man was not only just a rabbi and a teacher, but he had made it to the ruling council. He's way up. He should know it. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. The miracles of Jesus had made him a reputation. And so this man sees it. He says, God's obviously with you. And Jesus replied. It's a very odd reply. Considering what the man said, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. 
Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. Jesus said something that confounded the man, completely confused him. You must be born again. And he's asking him, what do you mean? How can it be? Can I get into my mother's womb again? Jesus Tells him a second time. And still he says, how can it be? What does this mean? Jesus explained it. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But spirit, and that's capital S spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives birth to spirit. Nicodemus didn't get it. He didn't understand. If we read the rest of the passage, we we read Jesus went on to explain to Nicodemus in terms the man could understand. He was a scholar of Our Old Testament, which was uh, the Jewish Bible at the time. Nicodemus knew the Jewish faith. He was a rabbi, a teacher. He was on the ruling council. He knew this, our Old Testament. And Jesus used an example from the Old Testament, Moses. And Moses was this great leader of, uh, of the Jewish people. Nicodemus knew all about him. And Jesus said, hey, Nicodemus, you recall When Moses held up a snake on a stick, a snake that was on a a stake of wood, and he looked at him and said, so too, I'm going to be lifted up. And Jesus was referring to the cross like that snake that represented sin. Jesus, the sinless one, he took on all sin. He took on the penalty for, for all of our sin, and he was lifted up on a cross. And why would he do that? Why would he even give Nicodemus this kind of reference? Well, he gave him the answer. He he wrapped it up in verse 15. In John chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus says, Nicodemus, I'm going to be lifted up like that snake Moses lifted up in the wilderness that everyone who believes may have eternal life. There it is. Jesus did it. Why did he do it? Why did he take on sin? He did it to secure eternal life, to secure a way for everyone to gain eternal life, that everyone who believes, these are the words of Jesus, may have eternal life. And that is the essence. It's the very essence of being born again. I remember when my mother was born again, and I thought she got brainwashed. I I was still just a little kid, And she talked about being born again. Born again, born again. She would tell everyone, you need to be born again. And as I grew into my early teen years, my mother didn't stop. She would tell people, you need to be born again. And I I truly thought this, this was a brainwashing thing. I thought she made it up. I thought she made it up. This was just some, some jargon. Somehow she picked up. And I remember the first time I, I read this, 
And I discovered, uh, my mother wasn't brainwashed. This wasn't a, a cult, that, a born-again cult, which is kind of what I thought she was in. And these were the words of Jesus. I remember, it, it stunned me. I, I was like, wow, my mother didn't make this up for a few years. I thought she had totally made it up. But no, it's the words of Jesus. You must be born again. It's, and the essence of it is believing. Believing in him and you'll have eternal life. And why do we need it? Because we're all going over the falls. Flesh gives birth to flesh. And where does flesh ultimately terminate? Death. Flesh terminates in death. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives birth to spirit. And and it's a miracle. And it's a gift. The Holy Spirit grants this miracle of spirit birth that never terminates. Ever. Never, ever. It's called eternal. Eternal life. So there's death in the flesh or there's life eternal. Life eternal by the Spirit. To them that believe, to them that believe in the sacrificial death of Jesus, there it is, eternal life. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is ready and willing to bring about that for for all, for everybody. But there needs to be a yielding, there needs to be a yielding in, in a heart. There needs to be a yielding in one's heart. And I remember reading that for the first time, and, and I know that it's, it's when the yielding sort of began, it, wasn't, it, it didn't happen for me that day, but I do remember, wow, if this, if this is the words of Jesus, maybe I should, maybe I should pay a little more attention to it. There, there has to be a yielding in, in our hearts And then the Holy Spirit in conjunction with a sincere heart, a contrite heart. The Holy Spirit in concert with a repentant heart, a heart that craves forgiveness. Not a heart that thinks it's got to do all this penance. No, but a heart that craves forgiveness and it desires to turn away from sin. The Holy Spirit working with a heart that admits, I can't do it. I can't pull it off. I can't pull myself up. I'll never be the perfect one. See, when that occurs, then the Holy Spirit can bring about this miracle and will bring about this miracle of birth, this miracle of birth by the Spirit, which does what? It delivers eternal life. Jesus had this miraculous birth by the Holy Spirit. He is the pattern for all of life. He is. And he makes this offer to all. You can have it. You can have a miracle. You can have a miracle of new life. You can have a miracle of birth by the Holy Spirit. You can be born again. And it doesn't mean we're going to be sinlessly perfect. It doesn't mean we're going to become God. No, we don't become God when we're born again. Believing that Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sin, it means then that that God sees the sinless perfection of Christ Jesus in front of us. And that's a beautiful thing. God doesn't see our failings or our sin. When we receive Christ, he sees Jesus. And God makes that offer to everyone. He makes that offer to all of mankind to have this miracle of Holy Spirit birth. 
being born of the Spirit, to follow the pattern, the model, the example of Jesus Christ. And then what happens? Jesus invites us. He invites us to share more of it. He invites us into all the things that occurred in his life. He wants us to be part of them and follow him, to follow him, to follow his model, to follow his example. He invites us to unite with him in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. He does. He says, be baptized. Be baptized. We witnessed that this morning. We witnessed. We heard, we heard this profession of faith. I do believe that Jesus Christ died for me. I want to follow him for all of my life. And so I'll do this. I'll do as he said. And we witnessed that this morning that he would invite us to, to be united with him in that. And then never, ever, never, ever take for granted what he has done. Never take it for granted. He gave his life to win eternal life. We don't forget it. We don't take it for granted. And he offered us these, these times to remember it. And that's how we're going to conclude our service this morning. That's why he instituted what we call communion, the Lord's Supper. We're reminded in God's word to discern the body of Christ. He died. He died for us. And he was resurrected. And the word of God tells us, don't take that for sacrifice. Discern his body. Don't receive the bread and the cup, which are images. They represent his body and his blood. Don't take them for granted. Don't receive them in an unworthy manner but worthily. So we close our service this morning doing that. And communion's open to all. It's open to all.